Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode 26. This episode is coming out in spring of 2020 during COVID-19. Please be safe and follow guidelines to stay at home and social distance. If you are going to a national park, check the website for specific closures and guidelines for that park. The content of this interview is to inspire future travel once it is safe to do so. Thank you, and we hope you and your loved ones stay healthy. Send us your questions or comments to hello at everybody'snps.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I'm here today with Jason Fry. He's a travel and food writer from Wilmington, North Carolina. He's the author of 14 print travel guides, including Moon, North Carolina, Moon Spotlight on Asheville, Moon Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and Moon Blue Ridge Parkway Road Trip. His most recent book, An Update to the Smoky Mountains, hit shelves in April 2020. You can follow his travels and plate-by-plate dining adventures on Instagram, where he's at Bearded Writer. Before we get to the conversation, we want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Moon Travel Guides. If you've traveled the Americas, then you already know Moon Travel Guides are the go-to guides for truly immersive experiences. With coverage of every national park and more outdoor adventures across the U.S., you can count on Moon's local expertise, unique recommendations, strategic advice to help you plan an unforgettable trip. Whether you're hiking in the heartland or camping on the coast, wherever your wanderlust may lead, there's a Moon Guide for you. Whenever our family is deciding where we want to go next, we consult our copy of Moon USA National Parks. We're excited to talk with Jason today because we love Moon Travel Guidebooks and the Smoky Mountains. This is a great follow-up to our podcast series on the Smokies that came out in June of 2018. That's episode 6.1 to 6.7. The series includes our trip reports, hiking all 800 miles, the diversity in the fragile forest, and the Smokies' rich cultural history. If you're planning a trip, you'll want to listen to those episodes and get the new Moon Guidebook. Now let's get to the conversation. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining me. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me, Danielle. I'm doing great today. I'm sitting at uh, my office here near Wrightsville Beach in North Carolina and wishing I was a little bit closer to the mountains. <laughs> I bet. That sounds lovely right now. So Jason, so this book is, as of this recording, it hasn't been released yet, but by the time this comes out, it will be on the shelves and available wherever you buy your books. What's new at the park that we can look forward to on our next visit? You know, one of the things that I love about Great Smoky Mountains National Park is that there's not a lot of new things going on. There aren't a lot of new trails being cut. There are, you know, the campgrounds are are there. And I think that that helps create a really nice through line for sort of those generational memories that you can build. I've been visiting this park since the 70s. And since my first visit in 1978, I think, or 79, not a whole lot has changed. That, to me, is such a beautiful thing because I go out and I take my wife and I can say, oh, we're on this trail right here. And you see that rock? 
that's the rock from that picture of me and my sister when she was just three years old. Same rock, same place. We can go pose on it and take a shot now too. Or, oh yeah, this trail, I remember being on it with my dad and we walked around the corner and there were these animals I'd never seen before. And they were the llamas that were carrying supplies up to uh, you know, Lacant Lodge. And so to me, the sort of static nature of the park is one of its most beautiful aspects. It's so much wilderness and it's so untouched since the logging companies all left at the inception of the park in the 30s. Uh, that it really creates a wild and untouched and natural place that is a rarity in today's world. It is such a special place. And I love what you said, how it brings back these memories that you can then share with whoever you're on that hike with today. We did an interview with Ken Burns last year, and that was one of my biggest takeaways from my conversation with him was that, you know, it's important to visit these places, the Smoky Mountains, the Grand Canyon, you know, the walls of Yosemite, but it's equally as important whose hand you're holding. And I just love that. Visiting the parks for us, it's more than seeing a, a place, but it's the memories we create together. So that's just really beautiful. That's exactly right. It is about those memories and it's about creating a deeper connection, I think, with the places that you're in. And I think that gets to the heart of why the national parks were formed, why they remain popular, why podcasts like this one, Everybody's National Parks, books like mine, and, and other travel guides and blogs that are guiding us to these places. That's why I think they're so important. They help us create not just a connection, but an actual relationship with a place. And once we have those relationships with the mountains, this, the ocean, the rivers, the desert, the cities. Once you have those kinds of connections and those kinds of relationships, they mean something to you and you're more indebted to those places. You're more indebted to those times you had there and you're more apt to advocate for them. And so you're more apt to say, yes, you should go out to the Smokies this weekend or, oh my God, you've never been to the Grand Canyon. You've got to go see it. Or you've never been to this city. It's my favorite because and then you can guide people there and you can build on that and you become an advocate for these places. That's exactly right. And you've spent so much time in the Smokies. So I'd love to get your insider takes and recommendations. One thing that I didn't know about on our two visits, we went for spring break of 2017 and spring break of 2018. And one thing I read about later on was the Firefly Light Show, which sounds really cool. And I saw that in your book. And I wanted to know more about that. That's something we've never talked about before. What is it and how do people do that? Okay. In the Smokies on the Western side, on the Tennessee side, um, there's the Elkmont Campground. It is midway between the Sugarland Visitor Center, which is the first visitor center you reach when you come out of Gatlinburg and you're moving east across the park. It's midway between Sugarlands and Cades Cove, one of the most popular spots in the park. At Elkmont, there is a colony of what are called synchronous fireflies, and they are exactly what they sound like. They're fireflies, like the ones you might see in your yard, but instead of blinking all randomly, they blink in unison. Sometimes in this field, you know, the, they'll rise up out of the grass and you know, hover there a few feet above, and they'll blink in two or three or four big groups. But after a few blinks, 
at random, they all kind of get synced up. And so this whole section will light up all at once and then it'll dim. And then the middle section will light up all at once and then it'll dim. And then that first section will blink. And then the, the place that you hadn't even seen fireflies yet will light up and it looks so eerie and it's dead silent. And it is just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And the synchronous fireflies are something I first encountered in the Smokies, but in the research that I did for the book and writing a couple of different articles and in my own sort of nature travels, I've found that there are several other colonies in the U.S. I think, I think there are six other ones that you can go visit. I know there's one in Allegheny National Forest in Pennsylvania. There's one in the Oak Ridge Wildlife Management Area which is you know, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, not far from the Smokies. Um, there's one in Congaree National Park in South Carolina. And that one is really cool because it's sort of a swampy area. And so it's a really interesting take. And there's one more you can visit, and I believe it is in Arizona. And I do know of another synchronous colony that's in North Carolina, but I was sworn to secrecy by a conservation group. So if you find it, you're a lucky duck, but uh, I can't tell you where it is. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the time of year for that? It's the fireflies mating season. And so in that part of the Smokies, that runs from mid-May to early June. I think they typically say around the the 15th or 17th to about the 10th of June. Uh, and during that time, you know, it used to just be crowded with visitors, and that was the first time I saw it. We just sort of pulled up, piled out of the car, found a spot, and, and hung out with other people. But it's become so popular, and they've become more concerned with protecting the ecosystem and keeping the firefly colony alive that they've moved to a lottery system. And so you can go to recreation.gov and enter a lottery for tickets to ride the trolley out to the campsites and to the field where they show up. And if you are fortunate enough to get your number pulled in the lottery, uh, I think it just costs like a dollar or two uh, to, to do it. Um, so if you're fortunate enough to get your ticket pulled for the lottery, you park down at the Sugarlands Visitor Center, hop on the trolley. They take you right out to the campground and bring you back. And it's a very controlled atmosphere. So fewer crowds, but they're managing to get more people in and out. Uh, so more people can enjoy it. and. It's a really nice little crowd control method, but the fireflies show up around dusk. So, you know, from being in the Smokies and your listeners who've been there know, those mountains are pretty steep and the valleys are narrow in places. And that's the case around Elkmont. So dusk there and in that part of late spring, early summer, uh, it usually is around seven o'clock. And so from seven to eight thirty nine, nine thirty, maybe at the latest, you'll see the fireflies out. The best part of the show starts maybe a half an hour right around true dark. So yeah, at that 7 to 7.30, you'll see a few start blinking and, and start coming out. But between 7.30 and 8, 8.15, you really start getting big flights of them, big groups coming up out of the, out of the dewy grass and, and starting to blink all at once. And so it's really an amazing experience to, to see that. It really does look otherworldly, almost like... Um, Christmas lights or fairy lights are just sort of hanging there and someone's controlling them like the lights at a concert, but it's nature. And uh, that's one of the most amazing things about it. That is amazing. And I'm so glad to hear about their 
crowd control method and that it's successful. Do you have any idea how far in advance when that lottery opens? When do people have to look out for that if they know that that's something that they want to do? The lottery opens at the beginning part of the year. And so I know that you know we're recording this in early April and I know that it's open now. And I want to say it's been open for a few weeks. And so it's usually open in, I think, early March okay. is when it, when it comes up. And they, they run it up until, I think, a week or two outside of that. Last year, but I haven't checked on it for this year, last year you could stop by the visitor center and sort of inquire about those like last-minute tickets that nobody took. And so, you know, you might get lucky on your visit and find like, oh, there's four of us. Oh, there just happens to be five tickets available for tonight. We'll take those four. And, you know, luck of the draw, you get to go in. But uh, more often than not, it requires some planning and uh, flexibility in your schedule to get to go see them. That sounds really cool. That's something I definitely want to do someday, whether it be in any of those locations you listed, though I would love another trip to the Smokies. So... Can you uh, just describe how you have uh, the book laid out like for a visitor? How would they use the book? Uh, the, the book is laid out. Well, I mean, it's laid out in the direction that I travel when I go to the Smokies. And so it really uh, starts with sort of the heart of the Smokies and then moves over to the North Carolina side and then wraps up over in Knoxville. But the way that the whole book is structured, it is a mixture of those city amenities that you need, the restaurants, the hotels, those kinds of things that are in the towns and cities nearby. So Asheville, Bryson City, Cherokee, North Carolina, Gatlinburg, uh, Pigeon Forge, Townsend, and Knoxville, Tennessee. So you get that taste of those things you need, but the heart of the book resides in the park. So it's reasonably detailed trail guides with mileage and elevation gains, uh, maps for several of the trails. you know, those aren't topographic maps, and so you know you should always carry your your backup. But the trails in the in the park are very well marked and very well mapped, and so it's a good guide to give you the sense of what it is. But there are also the listings for the campgrounds, the campground stores, and you know all the hours and phone numbers for the visitor centers and things like that throughout the park. But the park itself gets laid out into its different sections, and so. You don't open the book and you're just fumbling through like, oh, where in the Smokies is it? Oh, okay. It's in the Eastern Smokies or the Western Smokies. It's on the Southern point around Fontana Lake and Bryson City and Deep Creek, or it's up on that North Eastern corner around Cataloochee, or it goes over to the Western side and looks at the Cosby area or uh, down around that Cades Cove area. And so it gets laid out sort of in these geographical chunks within the book. That's helpful. Yeah. And it makes it easier to plan. You know, oh, we're in Cosby. We want to do this hike. Oh, maybe we don't want to do a 14-mile one. We just want something short. Oh, here's Henwallow Falls. It's a couple of miles in and out. You get to see the waterfall. And uh, oh, the trailhead's right there on the campground. It's easy to find. So it's, it's laid out. I think it's laid out in the manner in which I would like to use the book. And that's one of the things that I like it is, uh, is it's, I think it's intuitively done. Great. That's that's really helpful. So let's talk about some suggested itineraries, um, things that, that are favorite, maybe off the beaten path. Uh, Great Smoky Mountains has the reputation of being one of the most visited parks, gets very crowded. So keeping those things in mind where people want to avoid crowds, maybe not do the things that everybody's doing. Can we start with 
we'll do a rundown, a weekend trip, a week-long trip, and then talk about some backcountry. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Great Smoky Mountains National Park is the most visited national park that we have, and it can get crowded. But one of the good things about it is a lot of those visitors, it's their first or second time that they've really been out in the wilderness. Uh, you know, Some of them haven't been on tra- trails before, and it's one of their first true hiking experiences. And so if you're trying to get out and do something like see fall color or find the spring wildflowers or just go get that great spot out in the woods where you can just be silent and sort of meditate in that that quiet for a little bit, I find that more often than not, if you just push more than two or three miles down a trail, you get away from the crowds and you start finding that handful of people that are more like you willing to put in those extra miles to find that quiet place to get away from the crowds. And I think that applies too when you're looking at how you build your own itinerary. And so if you're going to do a weekend trip and you want to stay in the front country, I think for all its popularity, one of the best spots to go is absolutely Cades Cove. And I say that knowing that it, you know, hundreds of thousands of visitors drive that loop, that 11 mile loop every year. But on Wednesdays and Saturdays, it's car free from dawn until 10 a.m. And so if you've brought your bicycle or if you're there and you can rent a bicycle from the camp store, you get the whole morning to yourself. And riding your bicycle around that loop that early in the morning, it's staggering the amount of wildlife that you see. Some of the greatest photos that I've I've taken in the Smokies and some of the best photos that I see in the Smokies are from that misty dawn, early morning sun is just coming over the mountains and there's a deer in the field or a bear in the tree or turkeys crossing the road. That's those moments that you're looking for. It's the perfect time to get out, especially if you have kids. It's a flat road, few little hills, but nothing big. And it's easy to ride. And so I think that if you're looking for a front country camping weekend, camp at the Cades Cove campground, bring your bikes or rent a bike and take advantage of that Saturday morning when you can go out and ride car-free and not have to worry about that. From there, inside Cades Cove, the hike to Abrams Falls, uh, it's five miles to the waterfall and back. That's an amazing hike. It's, it's a good distance for beginner to intermediate hikers. The trail is well-maintained and pretty easy to do. Not a lot of roots and rocks to worry about. No elevation to, to, to frighten you. And it's a fun, easy trail. I've seen everybody from toddlers to 90 year olds on it. And every one of them has the same reaction when they pop out at the end and see that waterfall. And they do exactly what I do. They stand there for a minute. They look around, they breathe in that air, a smile breaks across their face, and then they pop off their boots and socks and put their feet in the water for a minute to rest. Um, so that that's an amazing thing. But the other thing with Cades Cove is you can drive a, uh, what's called Rich Mountain road and it goes over the road on the west side of the park and comes out near Townsend, Tennessee. And right where it comes out is Tuckalichi Caverns. And that's a little cave system. Those mountains, the Smokies are full of caves and this is one of the bigger ones. And so, you know, for a few bucks you can go tour this cave and you know get a break from the summer heat. And uh, it's always nice to do that. But you can switch it up with a really big hike. You can hike to Rocky Top the one from the song. Um, You can hike to Rocky Top, which is one of the mountains that rings the valley there at Cades Cove. And that's a big day. It's 
uh, 14 miles almost round trip. So, you know, you need to pack accordingly, make sure you got plenty of water and sunscreen and more than a snack in your bag. But uh, I think that that is an excellent place to go for a weekend front country experience. If you're looking for something in the Smokies, it's sort of a quick getaway. If you're looking at something longer, I think that being able to see the different sides of the park is important. Not just the North Carolina side on the east and the Tennessee side on the west, but the different sort of pockets of it. And so I like to start in Bryson City, North Carolina, which is at the southern end of the park. It's near Fontana Lake. The Appalachian Trail crosses Fontana Dam and enters the Smokies right there. At Fontana Lake, there's a weird little thing called the Road to Nowhere, which is a failed building project. The Park Service and Department of the Interior just ran out of, I think, ran out of money and desire to build another road that bordered the southern edge of the Smokies. And so there in Bryson City, you drive a few miles outside of town and you get to Lakeshore Drive which follows the lake a little ways into the mountains down by the lake again, and then just ends at a tunnel that goes through the mountains to some trailheads. And that's it. You go over, you walk through this quarter mile long tunnel, uh, which is very, very odd to start your hike in the middle of a paved road. And you pop out the other side. And right there, you either have a 35, 36 mile long hike on Lakeview there's Goldmine Loop, which is the little five-mile loop right there, and then Lakeshore Trail, which is 35, 36 miles long and follows the whole northern edge of, of Fontana Lake. And there's a dozen backcountry campsites on that. So if you want to stay in Bryson City, there's a couple of great B&Bs, little motels right there in town that are excellent to stay at. There's camping at Deep Creek, private and national park campgrounds there. Or you can go backcountry and stay at one of those campsites for a night or two, or even do the whole of the Lakeshore Trail. But I think doing that, and then a day or two there, fly fish a little, maybe go get out on the water at Fontana Lake, then move over to Gatlinburg or to Pigeon Forge. But instead of getting down in the middle of all the kitsch and the bright lights, still keep it a little nature-centric and find a cabin. There are cabins up in the hills, um, you know, nestled up right against the Smokies, you know, one ridge line away. Um, and finding those places is great too, because you get the conveniences of town just 15 minutes away. So all your restaurants, you know, you need that airbrushed t-shirt, you know, I hype Mount LeConte, <laughs> you know, you can get those there in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, but you're really only a few minutes from a lot of the trailheads, um, a lot of the hikes to the waterfalls and things like that. But I think that after you do a couple of days in Bryson, you move over to a cabin in Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, then you get to explore Cades Cove if you haven't done that yet. You get to also explore the Cosby area and the Roaring Fork area. Roaring Fork Motor Nature Trail goes through a little cove that's packed with waterfalls and old home sites. Several great hikes right around there. In the Cosby area, there's another big campground that I think people forget about and they overlook in favor of sort of the larger, more popular ones. Um, and so from that campground, you've got several great hikes, short and long trails that connect over to the Appalachian Trail. And so plenty to do there. And then finally, I think you, by the time you've done all this hiking and exploring in the woods, I think you've earned a little urban oasis. And so I like to end my my week-long trip out there with a night in Asheville, at least one night. It's a fantastic food scene. 
the beer scene is is excellent in that city and plus you have the blue ridge parkway that you can take from the smokies over in cherokee north carolina all the way out to Asheville. if you want to take your time to get there it takes a couple hours as opposed to just an hour and change on the interstate but you've still got hiking you can still go tubing in the city you can get stand up paddle boards and kayaks and go on the French broad river. So you can still get that outdoor experience, but it's a good way to transition back into the regular world. And then if you're looking for a weekend trip and you're really focused on the backcountry, I really am, am tied to the idea of Lakeshore drive. I've been out there on the road to nowhere around Bryson city and dealing with Fontana Lake more in the last few years. And I've fallen in love with it a lot. One is the isolation of it, and two is the the wild ruggedness of those mountains in that part, juxtaposed against these streams and waterfalls that are coming out and emptying out into the lake. So you get the air, you get the water, you get you know you get a campfire, you you get sort of all these great natural elements put together, and with all of those backcountry campsites, then you have access to an easy way to go out and build that weekend. When you're on the road to nowhere out there, there are several different trails you can take up that will get you to Clingman's Dome or get you onto the Appalachian Trail or take you up into some of these seldom seen spots. And if you're an angler, you know, by all means, get your permit and your North Carolina fishing license and bring your fly rod because several of those streams down there are just loaded with trout. And, you know, it was kind of shocking the first time I saw a couple of fly fishermen on a trail, but then I realized, no, these guys are just out looking for exactly what I'm looking for, some solitude and some place to enjoy nature the way they enjoy it. And so I've grown to love that more. Do you get those permits from the visitor center or where do you have to get those permits? You can get your fishing permits online through both the North Carolina fishing game folks uh, and the same way through Tennessee. And if for some reason online is not working, you know, any of the sporting goods stores or, you know, like the sporting goods counter at, at Walmart and stores like that are places where you can get them. But in Bryson City, in Gatlinburg, even in Asheville and Knoxville, it's pretty easy to find an outdoor store that can either set you up with a guide who they'll, they'll usually have uh, visitor permits that are built into their package or visitor um, fishing licenses that are built into their packages. Or you can just go ahead and pick up your own license. The one exception to that is Cherokee, uh, because it's the traditional tribal lands of the eastern band of the Cherokee Indian, you have to get a tribal waters fishing permit. And that's available only inside what's called the Koala Boundary, which is the the area that people mistakenly call a reservation, but it's the traditional tribal land of the Cherokee people. And so they have tribal fishing permits that you can get there that enable you to fish inside their slice of the Smokies. And what about a first-time backcountry trip for a family with children or a backpacking trip with children? Do you have uh, suggestions for that? Yeah, I do. I think that you should really go wild and go up to Cataloochee. Cataloochee is an isolated little valley on the northeastern side of the park. And uh, it's sort of away from Cherokee and Bryson City. It's away from that Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge, and it's really wild and natural up there. And so at Cataloochee, there's a campground, and I think it's a good place. It's a good place to camp. And I know that's it's more front country than back country, but if we're talking about sort of inexperienced backpackers and especially, you know, 
young kids. I think it's easy to get into a more isolated front country campsite than maybe it is to really make camp (laughs) deep in the woods. So I recommend camping there at Cataloochee. There's an elk herd in that valley. Um, You know, the elk used to be native to the Smokies and were hunted to extinction in the late 1700s, but they've been reintroduced in the last 20, 30 years and the populations are booming now. And there's a a sizable herd that you can go see there in Cataloochee. There are short, medium and long trails you can hike in there. And so you can give a taste of the outdoors to those young or novice hikers. And so the um, rough fork trail, it's only a couple of miles out and back. It's flat. It's beside a stream. But if you're nervous or worried about getting your footing or seeing how someone's going to do on trail, it's the perfect place to do it. You cross the creek a couple of times. You get to see a couple of historic structures. You're out deep in the woods. Then everybody's done well on that. Then you can move over to something like the Little Cataloochee Trail which is six miles one way. But you know, as you know, with any trail, you can hike until you're done and turn around and come back. Um, so it's a six-mile trail with some pretty significant elevation gain. I want to say there's around 2,500 feet of elevation gain if you do the whole trail. And you know that gets you up. It really tests your legs and tests your boots. And I think that's a good way for beginners and young hikers to get a taste of the outside before you go on to tackle one of the bigger ones like uh, Boogerman Trail that's that's right there in Cataloochee or going over and doing like Big Creek to Midnight Hole, that waterfall and swimming hole that's not far. I think that those are good ways to get a taste of, of the outdoors and a taste for camping before you really decide to go get that backcountry permit and really head out stay in a shelter and, you know, keep your food up in the trees so the bears don't get it. And and the whole, uh, (laughs) the whole more hardcore camping experience. Right. We've been thinking about maybe in the next year doing a backcountry. We haven't done backcountry with our kids yet, but something as easy as like hiking a mile or two with their packs, you know, just, just kind of an intro. (laughs) Yeah. I, I have friends that live in Asheville and Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. And that's one of the things I love seeing on Instagram and on their, on their social media channels is seeing their kids with their backpacks on. And they're all old enough now to where they have their own little backpacks and they carry their own food and their own water. And, you know, maybe they make one of them pack the picnic blanket or, you know, the other one carry someone's hiking poles, but everybody gets a little load to carry. Everybody has a responsibility and they get used to that idea of being on the trail and, that community effort that is a backcountry hike. You know, everybody helps out everybody and splits the load equally. And I think that it's a good way to give people a taste of that. Right. So what's your favorite time of year to visit? Well, I'm 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 biased. I I'm was I'm a Libra. I was born in October. Uh, and so uh, fall always calls to me. And I think fall is a stupendous time in the Smokies. The colors out there are unbelievable there's enough elevation that if you're there at the right time you know you can take that picture where the top of the mountains are just ablaze in color but it's still green down at the bottom Um, and you can also get there when it's the whole mountain just looks like that patchwork quilt and so i'm i'm partial to that but i've come more and more to love the spring there's an organization friends of the smokies that does a spring wildflower hike and they have botanists and experts and you know wildflower enthusiasts that lead hikes and photo and watercolor workshops and you know plant identification 
group hikes and things like that. And I've really come to love the diversity of the wildflowers that are around in spring. And so I've, I've become more and more drawn to, to spring. But living on the coast of North Carolina, summer gets hot here and it gets humid and it is long. And so you know, I hate to be a champion for every season in the Smokies, but summer is such a break. You get out there, you know, for every thousand feet in elevation that you gain, you lose three degrees in temperature. And so you get out there and you get high in those mountains and you get exposed on a ridgeline and that breeze is coming through and it's already cooler up there. And, you know, I've been out in the Smokies in August and had on my down vest because it's chilly enough in the evenings at the summits of some of these spots to, to warrant it. And that's a real relief for me. <laughs> right. And for summer and for fall, I imagine those are, and spring, I mean, really every time is is crowded and popular. Spring wildflowers, summer trying to get relief from the heat and the mountains, and the fall to see those colors. So do you have tips for those times on how to, we already talked about, you know, just walking a little bit further on the trail, you'll get away from people, but you still have the cars so are there maybe corners of the park that are less crowded or what, what tips do you have in that regard? Yeah, I, there are certainly corners of the park that get less crowded. And um, just like on the trails, you know, if you just go a little further, you know, a mile or two further than everybody else is going, you get to those spots. It's the same way with the roads. And so your most popular spots are, of course, going to be Newfound Gap Road, which is the one road that you know, bisects the park. And so there's no avoiding that if you want to make an efficient, uh, efficient trip of it. So you just buckle in and know you're going to go a little slow, get a good podcast or uh, a, a good concert you're going to listen to in the car going and, and settle in because it's going to take you longer than the 45 minutes it usually takes. But Cades Cove is a super duper hot spot. that 11 mile loop, you know, it normally you're only going 20 miles an hour. And with all the stopping you do, it takes you a couple of hours anyway. And so in fall at the height of color season, it can take four hours to get around that loop. So my advice on that is to either go first thing in the morning and try to be one of the first five dozen cars that get in and get around that loop early. Uh, or try to find one of these other spots to go see uh, the Foothills Parkway. Um, which is a proposed byway that would uh, border the western edge of the park. They've got two sections of it completed, and the southern and the northern section, both of which terminate right there around Gatlinburg. The southern and northern sections, there's a few spots to stop and take pictures. There's a couple of spots to stop and hike, and it's gorgeous. And rather than being in the smoky mountains national park you're looking at it and so you get a little bit of distance and perspective on it and so i like doing those in the fall uh, fewer people are on those roads catalucci again uh you have to put a little bit of work in if you want to get there and so some people just aren't willing to do that and so that's a good place to go um, out on the blue ridge parkway which terminates right there against great smoky mountains national park there's a spot that you can drive up to the top of a mountain and take this four by four road uh, about 15 miles into the national park. And then it comes out in just outside of Cherokee uh, on the tribal lands there. And that road is amazing to drive. And seeing the Smokies from that point of view gives you a different perspective on it as well. I think that taking your time is really the biggest key in fall. 
realizing that everybody else is there for the same reason you are to love and appreciate and gain more of a tie to this place than they already have. And so if all of us just realize that and take our time a little bit, and, you know, maybe let a car or two out of the parking lot, you know, that karma pays off. Maybe you get the good spot next time. That, that patience really goes a long way to, to helping enjoy it during the, the peak crowded times. Excellent. Those are great tips. And I've never been there in the fall. So I would love to do that sometime. The gateway towns, you talked about it a little bit. Are there any other uh, favorite recommendations or insider tips you want to talk about for any of those gateway towns? One you didn't mention is Knoxville. Is that also considered a gateway town? Yeah, Knoxville is considered a gateway town. It's, I want to say, 45 minutes, an hour with with traffic from the entrance to the Smokies there in Sugarlands on the just outside of Gatlinburg. Uh, it's a it's a big city. There's plenty of outdoor recreation inside the city. There's uh, Iams Nature Park, which is a, a converted quarry and series of lands this Nature Conservancy has purchased, and uh, you know, it's a great urban amenity for them. They've got great museums, uh, art museums, histories of Eastern Tennessee and of the Smoky Mountains. Uh, and then just the concerts and food and shopping options there. It, it makes for a great base to build your trip from if you don't want to stay in that Pigeon Forge or Gallenberg, which they're kitschy. And there's something adorable and fun about that. But Knoxville certainly is, uh, is an excellent spot. Right. Some people want that and some people don't want the kitsch. <laughs> yeah, they, they really do. Uh, my family, you know, as I said, we've been going since the 70s. And that's where we always used to stay was in Gatlinburg. And, you know, it, it's kitschy and it's big and it's loud and there's lights all the time. and It's full of sort of funny tourist junk shops. And there's something really endearing about that to me. It's changed in that it's updated, but it if you just put everybody in 1985 clothing it's the exact same place that i went to in 1985 <laughs> right and that's that's fun now why all the pancake houses it's the city of pancake houses <laughs> it really is the city of pancake houses but the pancake pantry in gatlinburg is the first pancake house in all of tennessee and uh you go there and have one plate of pancakes and you'll know why they're they're damn delicious pancakes, some of the best I've, I've had, with the exception of my mother-in-law's pancakes. And I don't say that for brownie points, because I don't think she even knows what a podcast is, much less how to listen to one. But honest to God, they're, they're the best pancakes. They actually have flavor. And uh, is the pancake pantry remarkably similar. So I'm going to have to do some recipe investigating to see if they come from a common pancake ancestor. But uh, yeah, it's there's pancake places galore. Silver dollar pancakes all the way up to these ones that are hanging off the sides of your plate, almost like a hubcap, like that Uncle Buck pancake, you know? Right. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot of pancake houses. And there are a lot of moonshine distilleries in Gatlinburg now, with the Smoky Mountains on the North Carolina and Tennessee side being hotbeds for moonshining. To go back to Cades Cove and referencing Rocky Top, you know, that's what that whole song's about. They, they get their corn from a jar, you know. They're not, they're not talking about canned corn there. They're talking about moonshine. <laughs> right. And so you have some historic moonshiners that have, you know, legitimized their work and, and are there uh, in town, you know, which is always just a, another fun, weird, kitschy thing to do when you're in Gatlinburg. Yeah. We did stay in a cabin, like you said, just outside of town. And then we went into town a bunch of times. 
that was after we camped. We camped at Cades Cove and then Cosby and then two nights in a really nice cabin just outside of town. And then our second trip, well, we spent uh, one or two nights in Asheville and then by Cherokee. Yeah. I, I think that those are the right ways to do it. I will sometimes just get the absolute dirt cheap hotel that I can get in Gatlinburg as close to the park as possible because, you know, when I'm traveling, I, I have my my camera and my computer and and all these other things that I'm using for research for, you know, guidebooks and for other projects. So I like a door I can lock rather than just a tent. <laughs> and so when I'm out doing that, I'll stay in, you know, just right on the strip in Gatlinburg, again, in the cheapest place I can find just to have that quick access. But I love being able to spend the time in Knoxville and Asheville and actually in, enjoy the place I'm staying or like you said, up in that cabin in the mountains where uh, you get the views, you get that evening, maybe you got a fire pit or a grill you can cook on and uh, you get more of that camping experience than you know the Motel 6 offers. Right. Uh, before we close, I'd love to get a little peek, a little sneak peek on the Blue Ridge Parkway. That will have to be, you know, a whole nother podcast at another time. But um, because they kind of neighbor each other, we got a little peek on our second visit to the Smokies. We visited the visitor center for Blue Ridge Parkway. That was in Asheville. And then we there were only like a few miles open while we were there. But um, can you just give a little little sneak peek at what people could do on a visit to the Blue Ridge Parkway? Oh, absolutely. The Blue Ridge Parkway runs 469 miles from Cherokee, North Carolina to Wadesboro, Virginia. And along the way, it is rural, rural, rural. The closest you get to a city is when you do a loop around Asheville. And then in Virginia, when you do a little loop around Roanoke. But other than that, it's woods, it's farmlands, it's a few houses here and there, but not many. There are plenty of hikes, waterfall hikes, hikes out to these mountain glens and these bulbs, hikes to summits uh, like Mount Mitchell in North Carolina, which is the highest mountain uh, east of the Mississippi, 6,030-some feet. Grandfather Mountain in North Carolina, you you get up into Virginia and you have these amazing hikes at Peaks of Otter, uh, which are these two mountains right near this historic lodge uh, and lake all the way up to Humpback Rocks, which are up near the northern terminus of it. Um, but there's so much to do on the parkway. I could honestly talk for an hour. But we talked about the Smokies being crowded in fall. The Blue Ridge Parkway is a mob scene in the fall. And even if you just get up there and drive 10 miles on it, you will understand why and you'll be ready to come back the next year. The way the roads are situated, it creates these long views to the south and to the east or to the north and to the west, depending on which side of the mountain you end up on with the road. Um, but you get these long, bucolic, gorgeous views that, uh, frankly, they're the kinds of things that, the kinds of views that make you know why people are painters or poets or filmmakers. You look at these things and you just go, "That's it's just an inspiring spot. And so they draw people by the thousands. And, and it's just amazing. But with the Blue Ridge Parkway terminating right there against the Smoky Mountains, it creates a really nice relationship between those two parks from overlooks on uh, Newfound Gap Road. You can look back and you can see the Blue Ridge Parkway. And from the Blue Ridge Parkway, you can look back and see like these whole walls of the mountains that are the Smokies and really get a sense of 
the vastness of that space. And so I think that the relationship between those two is really critical in driving visitors to both. You can hop on the parkway and do a few miles. You can come off the parkway and just cross over the mountain through the Smokies over to Tennessee, grab lunch and come back and go about whatever else you were going to do. So it's really conducive to people who are just making those quick visits, those parachutes in, or those little exploratory trips. That sounds great. Well, we will try to set up another time to talk more in depth about the Blue Ridge Parkway. So thanks for that quick little overview. I picture music and food, exploring those things and all different sorts of uh, crafts and things along the way, as well as the nature and the hikes and the beauty. Yep. It's got a whole lot to offer. Um, One of the things in Virginia sort of birthplace of bluegrass and country music is in this North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee borderland. And that in the heart of those mountains around Bristol, the North Carolina, Virginia line, and and that area, Tennessee, Virginia has the Crooked Road Music Trail, which takes you to all these historic spots where, you know, the Carter family, Johnny Cash's wife, June Carter Cash, where her family started singing and, you know, to the recording studio where country music was first recorded in Bristol. So all these sort of amazing spots. So both of those places really showcase the mountains and demonstrate that they are more than just nature and more than just a place to go see, but they're real, living, breathing places that have contributed to the American culture and to world culture. They're fascinating to go find those stories that maybe you didn't know about and those connections you didn't realize. Sounds wonderful. We'll plan a trip. Well. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you. For our last question, we ask all of our guests if you can share um, a particularly memorable moment or experience. It may be a transcendent experience that makes you feel, wow, I'm so lucky to get to explore this place and be in this place. Do you have a moment that you can share? Uh, You know, I do. And it actually ties in uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway. I, um, I was out a few years ago working on the first edition of my Great Smoky Mountains National Parks book. And I needed a great sunset shot. And I just was having a hard time getting it. And it was my last night out in the mountains. And I remembered the Water Rock Knob Overlook on the Blue Ridge Parkway. It's just a few miles from the terminus there in Cherokee. And so I headed up, you know, I grabbed a dinner to go and you know a sandwich and I headed up to the to overlook and I parked and I was eating my sandwich. I just, I looked around and no one was there when I first arrived, but then more and more cars started showing up. People were setting up little picnics and their chairs and we're all looking west towards Cherokee and towards the mountains. And then there was this moment when the sun finally hit that right spot and the light just turned golden. And I heard a couple of people grumbling and there was pretty heavy cloud cover, but you could look around and see that there were you know, spots coming and it was going to be opening up soon. And you know, some of the grumblers left. Those of us that stayed, we really got rewarded with this just spectacular sunset that quieted everybody. People were turning off their car radios and stopping their little Bluetooth speakers. I mean, even the couple of dogs that were around, they got quiet. There was just this 15-minute slice of the day when a group of strangers had this sort of collective transcendent experience of 
watching the sun go down as it's falling, the clouds are moving through and the light is, is opening up and changing and expanding and shrinking and doing all these amazing things. And it really gave me, it gave me several great photographs, but in all honesty, the best ones I didn't take because I was just in, in awe of the moment. And so the photos that I took that I show people and that I've wound up in the book, people are like, wow, these are great. This is amazing. I, I'm so close to just telling them, but you should see the ones that I didn't take. Right? You know, those, that, that moment of sitting there with those strangers and having the sun put on this display for us was absolutely amazing. And watching the light play across the Smokies, seeing those tendrils of mist starting to rise from these hidden valleys and hidden coves you know, that really give name to the Smoky Mountains, watching that evening transition was uh was an amazing one and one that i attempt to recreate every time i go back but uh, you know something magic about those singular moments and it's never happened quite the same way again that sounds like poetry <laughs> i could just picture that thank you so much for sharing that was beautiful so again i'm speaking with jason fry his updated guidebook moon's great smoky mountains national park is out in April of 2020. And uh, you can find Jason, follow him on Instagram at, at @beardedwriter. Thank you so much, Jason. Oh, thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate you having me on and glad to help spread the word about some of the fun stuff to do in these national parks we've got. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybody's national parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.